morning. It's good to be with you. Chief on morning, just at the end there. But uh, it's, it's good to be with you the week end after we've celebrated Sunday in that metaphor of understanding that so often we live in Friday and Ron and I right now for the next few weeks I'll be living in Friday. Middlesbrough Football Club and QPR are in right reality are in a state of crucifixion. We are dying, we are drowning, we are falling, we are plummeting. And both Ron and I would continue to seek your prayers that maybe Sunday would arise on West London and on the North East. Although I imagine without being too heretical here, I don't even know whether God is that powerful. But anyhow, so it's nice to be with you uh, this morning. My name is uh, Andy. I know one or two of your faces from a previous existence in this area when I uh, worked for East to West. So it's, uh, it's good to be with you. 15 years working for East to West. And now I have the pleasure of working for the Diocese of London, uh, which means that this church is still part of my life, which has been a really nice link. So when the induction process happened two years ago about kind of let's map out the diocese, and this started talking about Sunbury. I know that lot. I've been there. And it's great to be with you again, see how the church is growing and how life is here. And it's fantastic to be part of that. A very, very quick summary of my role with the Diocese of London. So uh, the Diocese of London stretches from Staines all the way, in essence, just to kind of the Olympic Park, near enough to the M25 if you go north, and then comes all the way back around. So it's a big chunk of, of, of central and then western London. Uh, and I report into the Bishop of Stepney, uh, a guy called Adrian Newman, uh, who looks after the Stepney Episcopal area. Obviously, Bishop Graham looks after this area here. And um, Bishop Adrian always laughs when he says, I've given you a small brief. And the small brief is this. Try and raise participation from all 390 parishes in the Diocese of London in tackling poverty and inequality. Go. So yeah, in one sense, uh, my job is Friday, because this is just like almost mission impossible. But one of the joys I get in my job is I have the ability to go around the diocese on a regular basis, seeing the impact that churches are having. And it was great to be here to see the food bank and the, and the Christmas present, uh, the market that was going on here. And I know of the impact that you're having here in your community. And so do others in the diocese, they talk about you. So take heart, you are gossiped about positively. Uh, so it's brilliant to be with you today. So it's just, in essence, the passage we're looking at today is a reaffirmation of, of our Easter story. This parable that Jesus says is a sum-up of Easter, and it's a sum-up of the whole of Scripture in one neatly done package here. The, the, the story starts, the parable starts with a good gardener. And instantly you go, I've heard a story about a good creator somewhere else in this book. It then talks about the impact of weeds, of sin. It then talks about the impact of struggle and what we have to live with of that. But then it ends with redemption. It ends with Sunday. So I wanted to bring this message to you this morning. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sows good seed in his field. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was amazing. There's dovetailing across on this. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds into the garden. In chapter 3, the issue with the serpent and the apple. I don't know whether they had kids, so it probably wasn't a granny smith. I'll give you a while to work that joke out. But, uh, but the whole context of sin now coming into the good garden and the impact of sin corrupting that creation. The impact of sin both personal and cosmic 
starting to choke the life that God initially sowed. Sin that robs life, sin that robs flourishing, sin that holds back, that was not the dream that God had for his creation, starting to mar the creation that God has made. So much so that after the apple incident, God walks again in the garden, a garden he is used to walking in, in absolute intimacy with humanity, and the line is then, where are you? A harrowing line, because before that section, Adam and Eve walk in the garden, and it is in the cool of the night. They just have this intimate hanging out with God as the sun starts to set. That fabulous pictorial image of such relaxed relationship with their creator. Sin enters into the world, and the next line is, where are you? Something has broken. And so Christ reflects this in this parable. And what we know through the rest of the Old Testament is, is so many times through the prophets, the nation of Israel is constantly being wooed back by God. I know the plans I have for you to be able to prosper, for you to flourish, for hope, for reconciliation, for peace. These are the cries that we hear from a God through the prophets to his people. Say, come back to me into this right relationship. And that right relationship which people would term as being the state of being in shalom. Shalom being that state of an absence of hostility between you and I, between us and God, between us and our land, that absolute state of peace and communion and harmony. And yet sin comes in and corrupts it. And we know that story, it's a famous story, it is a well-known narrative and we own that. But one of the difficulties that we can often face within that and knowing it happens in life is, well, why doesn't the gardener get rid of the weeds the minute they start to show? What's going on there in that narrative? Because we're, we're used to the popular bit at the beginning and it's quite easy to jump over that and go, it's Sunday! And we forget very often that a large chunks of our life can be living in Saturday as well as Friday. And I wonder whether sometimes Saturday is even more painful than Friday. Because we believe now the Sunday narrative, but I'm not seeing it in a reality yet, or in its fullness. Why do these things happen? I got a, a, an email a couple of weeks ago from a friend of mine. She's kind of like this awesome community activist. She's one of these people who's dynamic. She's changing the world. Uh, and literally, I think revival will literally just come through this one woman. She's this pocket rocket. And I was going to have a coffee with her this week to kind of touch base and see how it's going. She says, I can't meet with you this week. I've just been diagnosed with breast cancer. No, not you. No, you're not the one who's... No, why? Remember several years ago being at a friend of ours at a funeral of their little one. And these words of proclamation and truth are declared as the coffin gets brought in. And then, then the priest stands and pauses for a second and says, to those of you who don't have faith, pray for us who do, because we are really struggling with this. Because he is love. And yet... And we wrestle with these things as Christians. We wrestle with why are the weeds still there? Why do they not go? When we pray, we bang on heaven's door. We're faithful. We're doing everything that we desperately try to. But yet, I'm still in that valley. I'm still in Friday. I'm still in Saturday. Sunday hasn't become a full reality for me. Can I just throw out a few little thoughts as to maybe why we live in Friday or Saturday? But before I do... Please, can I encourage you to be careful when you draw alongside people who are in Friday that you don't quickly try to fix them and jump them to Sunday. 
When I was nine years old, I lost my mum, not literally in boots, but she died. And the people in the church, because of their care for me, wanted to say words over me so that I would feel okay. But the problem was the words they said, even for a nine-year-old, I'm like, I don't know whether theologically I agree with that. And also it's not answering the question I'm truly asking. Because for a certain season of my life, I howled at the moon every single night saying, why? And people would try to give me answers into the why, but the real question I was asking behind that was actually, how? How do I get through this? How do I build my life on from this? Because actually, even if I'd got the concrete nailed on technical reason why, I don't think that would have brought healing. Oh good, thank you, you've answered the question, I can now move on. Healing is a, a tension between, I'd love to know why, but truly I may never fully know why, I need to know how to get through this. And one of the glorious things that we have as evangelicals, I think, is we want to be people who proclaim truth, but sometimes we're too quick on proclaiming it. We have to sit with people at the cross on a Friday and just say, I don't know, can I just sit with you? And together we'll scream. Because today I don't know. But I do know that Sunday's coming, but I'm not going to be bashing you with that. I'm going to sit with you in this. Because together we are going to get through this. So some reasons maybe why, and I just lightly throw these out as to, as to why this might be. For God is love, he is not loving. Because he doesn't kind of do loving acts, and then occasionally doesn't, like us. He is love. Therefore, everything that permeates from God is love. So we have to hold on to our understanding of why it doesn't default us to a position where God probably did that. He's quite nasty, really. He's got a dark side. So be careful on our understanding. It doesn't drift us into that. But because God is love, his ideal is that we are in love with him. And love can only truly flourish in the context of free will. And the risk and the danger of free will is I am free to do what he may not long for me to do. Therefore, one of the reasons why people suffer, or I suffer, is that I choose to do acts that are not his ideal for me of my life. And yet, how often are through those acts that I get involved with, and it suddenly comes weedy all around me, and I get tied up, and then I start going, God, why do you smite me? I didn't tell you to do that. In the same way as we look at wars and sufferings around the world, how much of it is because of man's greed and free will and choice that causes people to suffer. So part of the reason why weeds grow is through our own selfish acts. Part of the reason why weeds grow is that we need a wider, greater understanding of sin. That sin isn't just simply, it's what I have done, naughty me, Jesus just died for me, but the sin was this corrupting narrative, this corrupting force that permeates through the whole of creation. Therefore, sin disrupts relationships and we live in the consequences of that disruption. We live in the consequences of that contamination, if you like. This is not what God longed for us, but our sin, the sin that lives within us and the sin that is permeating around, has impacts and causes things to happen. Spiritual warfare. As my dad would always say, I'm not a guy who sees demons in me cornflakes. So I come from that kind of heritage. I'm not someone who, when I get a flat tire, say, go on being cursed today. I just got a flat tire. So wherever you are on this demons, angels, scripture does talk about in Ephesians that we are wrestling against heavenly bodies. 
that there is a war going on that we don't yet see, but yet we get caught up in it. And I wonder whether sometimes some of the suffering that we encounter is because we are collateral damage in a war that we were not necessarily taking part in. There are tensions in and around that. But are we being casualties in a war that's going on? Which is why then we cling on to God, because very often we don't always know. Another point would be, we live in a world that's decaying. Romans 8 tells us that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay when Christ returns. So the earth itself is decaying. The earth doesn't function or respond how it was originally created to it to uh, function. Therefore, we are experiencing creation being fractionally out of order. And then when we look at how we treat the environment, are we perpetuating that? So we live within that. And my final point would be this. I just don't know. I just don't know. Too often we can look and be trying, I need to nail why. And I want to ask the question, why do you need to know why? So often we can wrestle with those pinch points and say, I just need to have an answer to that because that will make me feel better. But so much of our life is a mystery. And God is a mystery to us. And so much we try to put him in, but it's just this. It'll all be fine in the end. And we can dismiss or belittle what we're going through. But I just don't know why. When, I, when my mother died, uh, a lot of people in the church would say phrases like, you know, God... God kind of is, is, is within this and he will redeem this. And they would push kind of little narratives out that God was present. And so you're kind of like, you mean he did that? No, 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 no. Um, we'll stop trying to nail this too quick because that's not helping me at the moment. I remember when I started working for East to West. And East to West, in, e in essence, we were trying to be the embodiment of the road to Emmaus, which is great because they're doing it in kids' church this morning. The embodiment of the road to Emmaus to young people for whose lives are heavy and hard and they're journeying with it. And can we get team who would draw alongside them and be that Christ-like model to say, let's journey through this towards hope. And I remember being told by a friend up north, in the most fabulous way, I'm not condemning them, they meant it fabulously, but you can see a path God allowed your mum to die so then you would get compassionate enough to have experienced it to then run an organisation to help people who are going through it. In one sense, yes, Christ has redeemed that situation and given me a heart because I've known his healing in it to then be able to run these kind of projects to bring that to those who need to have that. But I don't think God, well, in essence, killed her so then I would get a heart to then do it. Can you see how the weaves start to... No, we need to allow a little bit of mystery that says, I don't know, but what I do know is that God is a God who will redeem this situation. He will redeem it in time. And the frustration here from the gardeners, from the gardening team is, why we're not uprooting this right now? Because you could imagine if you could hear the plants screaming, this is really suffocating! Anybody going to do a bit of weeding? And we live in that tension of frustration of why not now? One day, great, but what about, why can't one day be today? And the simple answer is we don't really know. We don't fully know why, but we cling on to Sunday. Some of the reasons could be is that the sin that so easily chokes us, we've become so used to, it's propping us up. Have you ever taken a weed off a plant and found the plant fall over? That so often we can be so propped up by the things that ultimately are for our ill, that if God just suddenly goes, that maybe God is more tender, a gardener, and he's doing a work in you so gently, 
gently as he removes the weed, you don't fall over in the same place as well. But all of this is still a mystery. And I can't stand here and say, it's just this, hallelujah, let's move on. But isn't this the joy that we bring or the opportunity that we have as church with each other through the ministries that go on? Do we have the opportunity to draw alongside Sunbury in its places of Friday to say, I'm with you in this. And as community, we will journey towards restoration. So you have this narrative of creation being corrupted of then God calling back its creation to him, which then reaches its climax at the end of the Old Testament, beginning of the New, with the cross of Christ that gets summarized in Colossians where he says, actually his death and resurrection is all about the redemption, the redeeming of all things. That's not a bad job, Spec. What's, what's your brief to redeem everything that the blood that flows from the cross was the blood of peace that flows out so that all things could be redeemed and can be redeemed. What a fabulous saviour we hold on to. That I hold on to someone who isn't just interested in the religious bits of my life, but is interested in my employment, is interested in my wife, is interested in my work scenarios, whether good or bad, is interested in whether my money is coming in or not, is interested in how I'm doing as a parent, is interested in my anger management, is interested in my thought life, is interested in everything. Because Colossians reminds us that his death and resurrection was to redeem it all, that he gets the glory and we become those that he initially sowed. We start to grow into it. And the opportunity that we have as church is, as Tom Wright puts in it, so you can tell my intellectual level isn't quite NT right. I'm still on Tom. Um, so Tom Wright talks about inaugurated eschatology so those who aren't here this week you can all go back to people last week, next week say we learnt a big word uh, eschatology is the end times what is to come the revelation stuff inauguration means at his cross that what we know is to come has started to come in now his kingdom is coming down as we pray your kingdom come now that great stuff to come now and then Tom then talk Tom first name basis and then Tom then starts to talk about collaborative eschatology that the call on us as Christians, the call on the church, is to collaborate with God as he brings in his kingdom here now. Let's look at some of those passages of what this kingdom looks like. Let's have a look at some of these passages. If you turn to uh, Luke 4, if you turn to Luke 4, you get this fabulous uh, part where if, if Jesus was currently in the general election, this would be his manifesto. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, release the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, which is a reference back to Leviticus. That's, that's your uh, uh, jubilee narrative, setting captives truly free and then enabling them to remain free. This is the mandate that our God says he wants to bring about. How about Luke 14? Just quickly uh, scoot along. Then Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is like hosting a luncheon or a dinner. You can tell this was written by an Anglican person. A luncheon or dinner. Don't just invite your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbours. Invite back uh, the crippled, the lame, the blind, so that they all can be blessed. 
They all can be. The kingdom of God is like a banquet, is the next part of that write up. The kingdom of God is like a party, and you are all invited to this party. No matter what your social standing is, the kingdom of God is where those who are supposedly out are well and truly in. They're at the top table. This is a vision of the kingdom of God. Turn to your state, there's too much to go through this morning. Turn to the end of Revelation 21 and 22. The famous passages. Then I see a new heaven and a new earth. So this is heaven and earth being renewed. The first earth has passed away. There's no longer any sea. That doesn't mean in glory you can't go fishing. But the sea is often used in scripture because you can't control a sea as being chaos. So there is no chaos. It's not uncontrolled. It's not wild waves anymore unless you hope heaven's full of surfing. Then the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem very much meaning the presence of God being with people. Heard a loud voice. Now the dwelling of God is with us. This place of true deep communion with God. Every tear is wiped away. Mourning is no more. You then get later on in the passage. There'll be no need for street lights. Because Christ is their light and his presence is with you. Why very often do you need streetlights? It's not just simply so you can see your way to your front door. My old house in in Teesside, there was an alley uh, that I used to walk down happily during the day, but never at night. There was something about that alley when the lights weren't on that caused me to be in fear that I would go away for it. Scripture here talks about in the truest expression of the kingdom of God in heaven, there is no need for lights because there's nothing to fear. It also talks about the kingdom of God looking like a walled city that doesn't have any gates. Again, you only put gates on to keep people out because of fear. There are no gates. Because in that truest, fullest, fully caffeinated experience with God, fear is removed. There is this river of life. Life flows and the trees that are drawing in that life are growing and their fruit is fabulous. Not growing too much though and so much metaphor so much imagery so much beauty within these scriptures that talk about this is what the kingdom of God looks like and it isn't the kingdom of God that is only when I die that I experience it but it's the kingdom of God that we pray each day in our churches through the Lord's prayer your kingdom come today may I experience this now And for those of you who are in Friday or in Saturday, this is the hope that we cling on to, that this will be a reality for me at some point, whether it's this afternoon or next week. I cling on like Jacob did to God. I ain't letting go of you till you bless me. I'm not letting go until this comes. But then there is the great commission on us as the church. What are we doing, church, in Sunbury that reimagines these last few chapters in Revelation? where you might rephrase the imagery there to the dreams that you see as being kingdomly expressions here in Sunbury. And lo, a new Sunbury came down. And God said he was with his people. And there were no more need for food banks. And there were no more people in debt. And there were no more, and there was no more, and there was no more. What does that expression of the fullness of the kingdom of God here in Sunbury look like for you when you dream about it and the joy that we have with God is he's already about doing that it's not like God says I wish the church would do something because I'm really inactive 
God is already engaged, and the joy is we have the ability to be called into it, to participate in the redemption of all things. The redeeming of all things. I was in a brilliant church up in North London that does a memory cafe for people suffering with dementia. And um, I sat down at, at the back with the blokes. It, it doesn't change. Age doesn't change. The women were all at the front singing with the choir that was going on, or there was a keep fit activity, sat down, keep fit. And all that. it was absolutely fabulous going on. And the joy in this church was stunning. But still, there were a handful of blokes at the back who were still behaving like 11-year-olds going, I don't do dancing. And I'm, I'm chatting away with them. And I'm chatting with this chap. And I said, oh, how long have you been coming along to, to the church on a midweek for this group? Da, 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 da. I said, well, what's it like for you? And he said, every day I get picked up by a bus and taken to other services because I'm struggling with dementia. But this is the only place where I find family. And I'm like, hold it together, Bernsey, you only cry when middles loose. And, um, and you sat there and he is experiencing right there the kingdom of God being made real by these fabulous people who are making tea there, this crazy lady in Lycra who's desperately trying to get them to do keep fit, a choir that was singing certain notes, and I'm sure a musician could tell me what they were at some other point. But there was this man trying to hide himself away because he's quite shy, but also going, I'm, I'm coming alive again. I'm coming alive again. And you sit there and you hear the narratives, curses over the church, the church is doing it. And you sit there, no, this is what's really happening. People are finding it. I'm getting my confidence back again. My wife died a couple of years ago. She was really my main helper and support. But I'm finding friendship. I'm finding hope again. And he's using redemptive language. And you think this is something gorgeous to celebrate. This is something so fabulous to celebrate. Why does he have to have dementia? I don't know. And neither does he. And neither does the vicar who runs it. And neither does any great theologian who might come up with a fabulous pithy book to try and answer it. Because we don't know. We wrestle with why. It seems unjust. Because five minutes later, he'd forgotten we talked and we had the same conversation again. But yet in his soul, when he fully was present, you could see the kingdom was there. And it gave you such joy to see it. Why do we have to endure Friday? I don't know. But we cling on knowing that Sunday's coming. And we have the privilege to get involved with the Sunday outworking that Christ is doing in your town. And I have the joy, working centrally at the diocese, of knowing that we have 220 ministries going on in London every single week, tackling homelessness, food poverty, debt inequality, all these kind of areas, isolation for the elderly, masses going on. And you suddenly look at that big map across London and it breaks your heart that those ministries are needed, but it fills you with joy to know the church is meeting it. And the glory that then goes back to God and the lives that are then transformed. Isn't that a great story to be part of? So my question to you as I close is this. Why don't you just close your eyes for a second? John in Revelation writes, in one sense it's a letter that's kind of trying to describe the undescribable, so he tries to describe it, and it's a bit like this, it's a bit like that, and this is what the kingdom looks like. In your mind's eye, what does a new heaven and a new earth look like as it touches Sunbury? 
what tears are being wiped away? What fences of division are being taken down? What communion is being amplified when you dream your dream of your town? And Father God, I pray for this fabulous group of people in front of me. I thank you for the faithful witness of this church. I thank you for every ministry. I thank you for every conversation that happens with neighbours, with friends, with work colleagues that seeks just to drip in a little bit of Sunday into people's Fridays. And I thank you that whilst we feel like sometimes we're being choked by the weeds, we know one day those weeds are going to be taken down and burnt. We know justice is coming. We know compassion is at hand. We know that you are our provider, you are our sustainer, and ultimately you are our redeemer. Continue to do a great work in us, I pray, that through that great work, we would see your kingdom come, your will be done, in Sunbury, as it is in heaven. Amen.